From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch, and Merry Christmas. It's good to be able to say Merry Christmas. You can still say that. Well, coming up on this edition, we are broadcasting live from the campus of Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, Georgia, where at 7 p.m. Eastern we'll host the Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally. In fact, uh, folks are starting to come in for tonight's event. If you're listening on one of our Georgia stations, you probably still have time to get here if you drive fast enough. And you can be a part of what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic evening. Uh, We'll be joined by some tremendous speakers and leaders like Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia, who will be joining me in just a moment. Congressman Doug Collins, who represents this area in Congress. Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas. Abe Hamilton from the American Family Radio uh, Network. Todd Starnes from the Todd Starnes Show. And Ralph Reed from here in Georgia. If you can't get here, not to worry. You can catch it all at prayvotestand.org beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be live streaming it. There on the website, prayvotestand.org. Speaking of Georgia, the reason the eyes of the nation are focused on the Peach State, and the reason we're here, is because the outcome of this historic runoff election where two Georgia Senate seats on the ballot at the same time. Now, that hardly ever happens. It's happening because of a special election that threw both seats into the same cycle. Now, these two seats will determine control of the U.S. Senate, which could determine if one party will control the federal government. What could that mean to you? We're going to talk about that with Congressman Jody Heiss, one of tonight's speakers here at the Pray Vote Stand rally. We'll also be talking about um, Joe Biden making a speech last night after the Electoral College met and uh, talking about... um, What's coming up? We're going to talk about that. And while the Supreme Court refused to hear the Texas case challenging the the election results in Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan because of election law violations, that does not mean the battle to clean up our election system is over. Far from it. Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson is here to explain. And transgender activists upset by efforts to keep children from deciding to take life-altering puberty blockers tweets, all children should be put on puberty blockers until they can make informed decisions about their gender. Say what? FRC's Peter Sprigg is here with more to help us understand that. And as predicted, more and more parents are voting with their feet, or at least with their kids' feet, When it comes to public education, some of the nation's most influential uh, schools, like Falls Church in Northern Virginia, are more concerned about erasing the names of the founding fathers from public school buildings than they are getting students back into those empty buildings. Maria Keffler, co-founder of Arlington Parents Coalition, joins me later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And, uh, folks, let me remind you, if you'd like to partner with FRC as we're coming up to the end of the year, we've got some very generous donors that have put together a $1 million challenge match. So effectively or essentially everything you give between now and December the 31st will be doubled. So go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can stand with us right there, TonyPerkins.com. All right, a Joe Biden presidency is closer to reality as the Electoral College met yesterday and cast 360 votes to Joe Biden. Now, after the college met, 
Joe Biden made a speech from Delaware, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Now, as it was mentioned, you know, the Senate majority is still up in the air, and it all boils down to the Peach State. Two Georgia Senate runoff uh, election uh, at the same time will determine just how much damage Joe Biden presidency could cause. And we need to find out what those races look like. So we'll get a preview also of tonight's Pray Vote Stand rally uh, here in Georgia. And we'll also, uh, as I mentioned, take a look at Joe Biden's speech last night. And joining us to do that, Congressman Jody Heiss. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Georgia. Georgia, as I mentioned, will be speaking at tonight's rally. Congressman Jody Heiss, welcome back to the program. Always good to be with you, Tony. Thank you so much. And I should mention, uh, Jody also uh, frequently uh, co uh, host uh, guest host for me. In fact, we'll be in, uh, I think, next week go guest hosting for me as well. Well, let, let me, I got a couple of clips I want to play from uh, Joe Biden's comments last night um, after the Electoral College met. Uh, Greg, play clip number one for us. In America, politicians don't take power. People grant power to them. The flame of democracy was lit in this nation a long time ago. And we now know nothing, not even a pandemic or an abuse of power, can extinguish that flame. You know, he's suggesting that there were attempts to take power from uh, the people. Uh, Jody, is it, I mean, when I look around and I look at the polling data, in fact, I look at conservative Christians, 79 percent of them question the outcome of this election. I have to say, uh, I count myself among that number. Jody, did we lose you? Oh, I think we, uh, I, I think we uh, lost him. He's uh, on his way, actually, here to the event. And here in uh, northern Georgia, Georgia, got a few uh, few little hills that block cell coverage. But I'm, I'm going to go uh, and play another a couple of more clips from his um, comments last night. Uh, you know, I, I well, let, let me just let me play the clips uh, before I get off chasing rabbits. Uh, let's play um, clip number three. It's a position so extreme, we've never seen it before. A position that refused to respect the will of the people, refused to respect the rule of law, and refused to honor our Constitution. Now, he's, he's referring to the effort to take this case to the Supreme Court of the United States because of the irregularities and the violation of state law in those four critical states, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, uh, among the others. And... The rule of law, I, quite frankly, um, I do not want Joe Biden lecturing me about the rule of law. Not only, you know, from his personal standpoint and his family that's being uncovered, but he was a part of the Barack Obama administration, which was the most lawless administration, I believe, in the history of our country. Uh, Jody, I was saying before we lost you there that, you know, there are, according to polling data, uh, George Barna polling conservative Christians, 79% of them do not trust the outcome of this past election, myself included in that number. Um, th there are still a lot of unanswered questions surrounding this election. 
Oh, Tony, there are so many unanswered questions about this. And the unfortunate thing is we've not been able to have our day in court yet. I mean, we have not had even a judge, a court, willing to listen to the facts. And so we have courts that have dismissed the case on all sorts of frivolous reasons, like you're in the wrong court or you didn't pay the right filing fee or you don't have standing, but not any of these courts have listened to the evidence. And that's very disheartening to me. We are abounding in evidence of uh, wrongdoing and potential widespread fraud here in Georgia, which no question to me if the the evidence is put out there, it would have a uh, it would turn this election around totally in Georgia, and I believe that applies to several other states as well. And see, Joe Biden apparently believes that seeking answers to those questions, or as you said, getting a day in court, is somehow an assault on democracy. I'm going to play another clip. Uh, clip number four, Greg. The court sent a clear signal to President Trump that they would be no part of an unprecedented assault on our democracy. So, so, Jody, seeking to ensure that states abide by their own laws as it pertains to elections is an assault on democracy? Yeah, I mean, it's just absolute insanity coming from his mouth. He ought to be saying we need to have secure elections. There are questions that uh, 50 million Americans have over this election. There are uh, allegations of very serious Insecure elections, we need to do everything we can to secure the sanctity of the ballot box in America. He ought to be coming out with that type of question rather than condemning people who are wanting to make sure that only legal ballots are cast and only legal ballots are counted. I mean, that is what is a threat to our democracy, is the elimination of a fair legal vote. That is an enormous threat, not those who are trying to make sure that we have that kind of election. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it undermines the confidence that we have in our system. I, I want to uh, jump to the issue at hand. It's why we're here in Georgia. We're going to have a Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally tonight. You're on your way here. You're one of our featured speakers. Uh, but there's an election in Georgia which will determine the control of the United States Senate. And with the backdrop of a Biden administration, a House controlled by Nancy Pelosi, although a slim margin, she does control it. These two Senate seats here in your home state of Georgia are absolutely critical when it comes to the issues that so many of our listeners care about. Yeah, it really does, Tony. And this is, you know, we are out and about all over the state doing everything we can to make sure that people understand the seriousness of this election and they get out to vote. This is not about simply about the two Senate seats in Georgia. And to be quite honest with you, this even goes beyond the balance of power in the United States. It's the entire free world that is looking at what's about to happen in the United States here and in this senatorial election, if the Democrats happen to win this, we are talking about the balance of power as it relates to a philosophy of government going from our understanding of limited government and maximum freedom and Judeo-Christian worldview to socialism and Marxism becoming the dominant political theory in this country. That is what is at stake and we need people praying like they have never prayed before. We need people in Georgia getting out to vote. 
uh, and, and making sure that others do the same. There is so much at stake in this election, it is simply impossible to adequately express it all. And that's exactly why we're here at Truett McConnell University in northern Georgia tonight for a Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally. Uh, if you're hearing this program, you're in Georgia, there's a good chance you can get here and be a part of it. If not, you can tune in online, prayvotestand.org. As I mentioned, Congressman Jody Heiss, uh, Congressman Doug Collins, uh, Congressman Louie Gohmert of Texas, they'll be here along with Ralph Reed, uh, Todd Starnes, Abe Hamilton, uh, from American Family Radio. Uh, Jody, as you travel the, the state here, and I know you've been working this hard, uh, you're well-respected in the state, um, what kind of response are you getting? Are, are, are people disenchanted because of what happened in the November election? Or are people eager to turn out? Well, it's a little bit of both, Tony. I just have to be honest with you. I've never seen people more angry. Uh, over what happened in November, and to be honest with you, angry at the lack of response and voice coming from our own leaders here in Georgia. Uh, people don't understand that. They don't understand why our Secretary of State made decisions to get us in this mess to begin with. They don't understand why our governor and lieutenant governor are not being more outspoken to protect not only the president, but more importantly, protect our election process. Yeah. At the same time, people are very much aware that we've got to get out the vote. So there's both concern and uh, commitment to get the job done. Well, we can be concerned, but we also have to show up and do our part. And I know you're uh, encouraging people to do that, and that's what we'll be doing tonight. See you in a few minutes, uh, Congressman Jody Heiss. And folks, uh, don't go away because we're coming back with more. Congressman Mike Johnson joins us next here on Washington Watch. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. As I mentioned, broadcasting live from Truett McConnell University here in northern Georgia, where tonight we will be holding our Pray, Vote, Stand Georgia rally. In fact, you can hear uh, hear it in the background as folks are beginning to come in to get ready for uh, tonight's rally. We'll be hearing from, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Congressman Jody Heiss, who was just with us. We'll be hearing from Doug Collins, uh, who actually represents this district, at least for the end of the, end of the year, uh, and Louis Gohmert of, uh, of Texas, along with uh, Todd Starnes, Ralph Reed, Abraham Hamilton of AFR. Speaking of Texas, uh, joining me now on the line is Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, uh, represents the 4th Congressional District, and he led the amicus brief that was filed by 126 members of Congress last week in support of Texas and their election lawsuit where they appealed to the United States Supreme Court only to have the court turn it down. Uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. Great to be with you, as always. Now, we talked about this last week as you were preparing that brief, uh, friend of the court brief, in which uh, uh, your colleague signed on to, but um, the court rejected it, saying that Texas did not have standing. Were you surprised by that? Uh, I was, in a way. You know, remember, the unique thing about the Texas case was that it was brought directly to the Supreme Court under its original jurisdiction. It's one of the, the, the narrow areas of the law where when one state sues another, they go directly to the Supreme Court, and you don't begin, as is usually the case in the lower courts, the district court and then the appellate court and then the Supreme Court. But they went straight to the Supreme Court because that was the only place it could be heard. And for that reason, I think what Justice Thomas and Alito sort of implied or indicated in their statement was that, well, gee whiz, it, at least it should have had a hearing here. But it, it didn't, and so I think we're going to um, regret that for a long time to come because there were some very, very important issues that the court could have addressed in that matter, and we certainly hope that they would. So, Congressman uh, Mike Johnson, why did the court reject the case? Well, they rejected it on standing, and they said that um, the that, that Texas – uh, in their mind, didn't have the right to do what it was aiming to do. We really don't know much more about the reasoning because the court didn't give any real explanation, and so it's conjecture on all of our part. Uh, at least two of the justices indicated they might have seen it differently. But, um, you know, the point is that there was no discussion of the merits at all, and that's the problem because, you know, maybe this was the imperfect vehicle uh, to, to tee up these issues, so to speak, for the court, but having had it rejected like this and having the clock run out as it has, 
we leave unanswered some of these major questions, large question marks that hang over not only the election cycle of 2020, but our, our, for example, our presidential elections going forward. And that's a serious problem. Well, when you think about it, I mean, I brought this issue up back in 2018. I talked about it here on the program where California, because of their election law and the ballot harvesting, which is illegal in other states. In fact, people have been convicted of ballot harvesting in states like North Carolina, that you have um, the, 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 the sta- a state that, like in California in 2018, because there was a flip in so many of the Republican seats, it gave the Democrats control of the Congress, which affects representation of other states. When you look at the committee assignments and you look at everything else, uh, so so a very similar principle, when one state is denied um, re- really a fair representation because one state either cheated or had irregularities in their election cycle, if a state can't go to the Supreme Court to get justice, where can they go? Well, that that is a real uh, problem and a big question that, that a lot of Americans are asking themselves now. And, you know, if you look at the polling that came out just in the last couple of days, Tony, there was a Fox News poll over the weekend, and uh, they indicate that huge numbers of Americans actually believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's something like 77 mm-hmm. percent in that yeah. poll of Trump voters, 68 percent of Republicans overall, 39 percent of all voters in the country. So you've got a big chunk of, of the country that is doubting the veracity of our election system. Itself. Put, put me in that number. Put me in that number. Well, right. Right. It's a serious problem in a republic because one of the one of the foundational uh, presuppositions of holding a government like ours together, a government of, by and for the people, is that the people will believe that their vote counts, right. that it'll be fair. Right. It'll be accurate. You got to have confidence. And if we lose that, it's, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. OK, so uh, very quickly, we we're going to run out of time here. Where do we go going forward? What must be done to ensure that there is confidence in our system, which, as you pointed out, is critical for the system to work? Well, we have a very serious challenge in front of us, and it needs to be a, a top priority beginning in January, at the beginning of the year. Most of this work has to be done. We'll do what we can in Congress, but most of this, the jurisdiction to fix it, is in the states. That's our system, our, our system of federalism. The states run their own elections. Um, we're going to need people in every jurisdiction, every state, to let their voices be heard, to let their duly elected representatives in the state legislatures across the land know that they demand election uh, security and, and fairness. And so there, there's going to have to be some reform. You know, here's a crazy idea, Tony. We need to demand that we revert back to the, the Constitution itself, the federal Constitution, the Elector's Clause, Article 2, Section 2. That was the point of our brief on the members of Congress, was to say that the, the framers of the Constitution were very specific. They said it is the legislatures that need to make these big decisions, not rogue actors, governors, secretaries of state, elections officials, even state judges. This is the, 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 res, the responsibility of the duly elected representatives of the people. That's what we need to demand, and we need to do it in earnest. And that is something that state legislatures have the sole responsibility to do. Congress obviously can help expose, as we're already seeing, uh, what has taken place in this election cycle. But once we know the problems, then we can set ourselves um, moving in the direction of resolving those issues. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, but back in Louisiana in 1996, we had a massive voter fraud, uh, which led to some major uh, reforms in our election system. And, you know, for the most part, we've had clean elections since then. 
That's right, and and sometimes it takes an event like this to wake everybody up. But I, I think I think that sufficient attention is being paid to it now. We just have to follow okay. through and make sure that the right thing is done. And the good news is uh, Republicans control a majority of those state legislatures, which is uh, which gives us some hope. Congressman uh, Mike Johnson, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining. Thank you, my friend. Keep up good work. Uh, you do the same. So a lot of work ahead to make sure that what has been exposed is addressed and so that the election in 2024, election 2024, cannot be manipulated, stolen, or twisted in any form or fashion. So a lot of work to do in the days ahead. Uh, Speaking of elections, we've got one just around the corner in Georgia, January the 5th. And that's why we're here, Truett McConnell University, PrayVoteStand.org tonight, 7 p.m. We'll have a rally. You can watch it online. Don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch live from Truett McConnell right after this. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. As uh, we previously stated, we are broadcasting live from Truett McConnell University in northern Georgia, to be precise, Cleveland, Georgia, where tonight we will be hosting the Pray Vote Stand Georgia Rally. We'll have a number of members of Congress will be here, uh, as well as some other friends. So you, too, can join us if you're within driving distance. If not, not to worry, you can join us online, prayvotestand.org. We'll be live streaming, broadcasting it at 7 p.m. this evening. All right. In uh, Earlier this month, the 
United Kingdom Supreme Court ruled that children under the age of 16 are, quote, unlikely to be able to give informed consent, unquote, concerning puberty blockers. They went on to actually say this. Let me read from their opinion or their ruling. It is, quote, highly unlikely that a child age 13 or under would be competent to give consent to the administration of puberty blockers. It is doubtful that a child age 14 or 15 could understand and weigh the long-term risk and consequences of the administration of puberty blockers, end quote. Well, in response uh, to this in the conversations about the fact that, you know, children should not be able to make these decisions, they just don't have the capacity, an activist, a transgender activist, uh, tweeted out that all children should be put on puberty blockers until they reach a point at which they can determine what their own gender would be. Uh, okay. Joining me now to talk more about this, FRC Senior Fellow for Policy Studies, Peter Sprigg. Peter, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Uh, look, there's a, there's more and more evidence coming forth with those who are detrans transitioning from having gone through uh, this uh, transgender uh, movement that are saying, look, this is a big mistake. I shouldn't, shouldn't have done it. I wish I hadn't have. In fact, this case in the United Kingdom resulted as a uh, biological female sued the National Health Services uh, for allowing her to go through the process as a, an adolescent. So what's right. going on here? Well, uh, I mean, you set it up very well. I think that the uh, Supreme Court decision in the United Kingdom was really a shot across the bow. I think that for years, these uh, transgender activists and LGBT activists in general have uh, been accustomed to people just taking uh, sort of the, the things that they say as uh, uh, you know, as truth, um, just because they're politically correct and uh, having nobody question them. And now uh, people are questioning them. We had that U.K. court decision, which is uh, very important. We had, of course, the, the laws uh, that were proposed here in the U.S. in South Dakota and Alabama last year that we at FRC were very active in, in supporting, which unfortunately didn't get across the finish line, which would have... Uh, uh, would prohibit these uh, procedures for minors. And um, I think that uh, transgender activists like this individual uh, who goes by Zinia Jones um, are, are, are realizing that they may be losing this debate, as they should be. So uh, she, she was later questioned about this. She said she wasn't really serious. Uh, she was trying to make a, an argument saying that, well, if, if children under 16 didn't have the capacity to make this decision to take puberty blockers, then all children should be put on puberty blockers until they had the capacity to make the decision, which is, you know, absurd on its face. Um, and so she's backing away from that tweet. But it does show just how illogical the trans movement is. Yes, because the it, the uh, equivalence, the equivalency that that um, this person is positing, and it's actually a biological male who identifies as female, um, is that it's hard to um, keep up with all that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so forgive the, me. The, uh, <laughs> the the so the argument that we make is that children are not able to. Um, give informed consent to a radical treatment like puberty blocking hormones, cross-sex hormones, and gender reassignment surgery, which would permanently alter their body and, and uh, in fact, sterilize them for life. And 
this person is trying to turn that around and saying, well, they can't give um, they can't give consent to the permanent changes that happen to their body through puberty, which is so normal, what, natural. What, which, which is normal, natural development. Yeah, that's like that's like arguing in favor of abortion because the uh, the fetus cannot the unborn child cannot give consent to being born. Okay, the the uh, this is the yes. normal development of life, and uh, to equate that with the artificial application of these um, of these uh, you know uh, chemicals and so forth and surgical procedures is uh, just absurd on the face of it, as you said. Well, and Peter, there are a lot of things in which at certain age, uh, there are age restrictions. For instance, you, 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 under 21, you can't drink. Uh, you know, under 18, you can't join the military. Under 17, you can't join the military without parental consent. You can't vote. Um, so there's a, you, in, in some states under the age of uh, 16, you can't marry. Under 17, you can't marry without parental consent. So there's a lot of restrictions based upon capacity to comprehend the weight of these decisions and something as you pointed out with puberty blockers that can sterilize that have life altering that cannot be reversed you would think that the a reasonable person would say yes uh, we, we don't want children making those types of decisions exactly and, and that's what the UK Supreme Court said and uh, we'd like to see more states and, and, and the nation adopt that position here as well and that's pretty striking that the U.K., which is much further down the leftist road, would make such a decision. Uh, Peter Sprague, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. When we come back, um, you know, schools are more concerned about the, the names on the buildings than kids being in the buildings. Uh, and parents getting tired of that. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Hello, this is Tony Perkins. With the balance of power in the U.S. Senate on the line, the runoff elections for Georgia's two U.S. Senate seats on January the 5th may be the most important Senate elections of our lifetimes. The outcome will have a profound impact on the future of faith, family, and freedom for all Americans. That's why we're inviting you to join us in North Georgia for our Pray Vote Stand Georgia Rally Tuesday, December the 15th at 7 p.m., Join me, Congressman Doug Collins, Congressman Jody Heiss, Congressman Louis Gohmert, Todd Starnes, Abraham Hamilton, and others as we join together to discuss how we can get involved. The rally will be at Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, and again, it starts at 7 p.m. For more details, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. This rally is sponsored by FRC Action and AFA Action. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well.
To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. As I mentioned, we're broadcasting live from Truett McConnell University, where um, in just a little over an hour, an hour, we're going to be starting our Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally. Uh, Truett McConnell University, a Baptist university, two uh, of them in the state of Georgia. One, they're one of the few states that has two Baptist colleges associated with the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's a good school, uh, very conservative in its orientation, uh, both uh, from a theological standpoint as well as a cultural and political standpoint, I know, uh, because one of my children uh, attend here, uh, Dr. Amir Kanner, uh, the president, and uh, doing a great job here uh, at uh, Truett McConnell. So they're hosting us here tonight for this Pray Vote Stand Georgia rally. If you can't get here, you can still watch and participate. It will be uh, streamed at prayvotestand.org, beginning at uh, 7 p.m. Speaking of education, more and more parents. This is the silver lining I talked about uh, you know, several months ago with the coronavirus, with schools being shut down. And this is one of, this is one of the very few areas I disagreed with the president on and, and, and communicated as such, where he was saying, we've got to open the schools back up. I said, why do we want to put children back into those indoctrination centers? Let's redirect that money to parents so that they can make better educational choices for their children. And here's a case in point. Um, just, uh, I think it was last week, the, Northern, uh, the Falls Church, which is in Northern Virginia, the local school board unanimously decided to remove the names of Thomas Jefferson and George Mason from the city's elementary uh, and high schools. Quote, I'm quoting from the school board. Our schools must be places where all students, staff, and community members feel safe, supported, and inspired. Wait a minute. They want to scrub the names of the founding fathers from the city's public schools. These are the ones that gave birth to this whole idea of a republic of America, of freedom. How far afield have we gone 
from the founding principles and ideas of America. In fact, to show how out of touch they are, now believe me, this is, this is outside of Washington, D.C., by no means a conservative bastion. It's liberal. In fact, they, I think they voted uh, 81% voted for Joe Biden in that area. But yet they were opposed. A majority, 56% were opposed to renaming these schools. They realize this has gone way too far. And so what's happened just over the last year, uh, nearly 9,000 students have been withdrawn from the Fairfax County school system uh, with parents preferring to send them to private schools or, or even homeschooling them. That's a 5% decline in the past year. So what's going on here? Good, good story. Parents are finding out what's happening and they're voting with their feet or with their children's feet. Well, joining me to talk about this, Maria Keffler. She is a co-founder of the Arlington Parent Coalition and a partner in media representative at Partners for Ethical Care. Uh, Maria, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Tony. Well, I know you have been at the forefront of this debate uh, for some time of what's happening in the schools with this whole liberal uh, ideology that is being force-fed to our children. But it appears that, uh, I mean, this may be a step too far, where parents are even saying, wait a minute, this just does not make sense. We're erasing the names of founding fathers from our schools, but yet we still are not willing to allow our kids to go back to school. So we're taking the names off of empty buildings. Yeah. Well, and today, let me wish you a happy Bill of Rights Day, because this is the day where we celebrate uh, the Bill of Rights, and George Mason is known as the father of the Bill of Rights. Um, so there's some irony in that, that we're, we're talking about this today, that they're Good taking point. his name off, off the building. Uh, this has been happening all over the area. Um, I'm in Arlington, and um, last year the school board took the name uh, of Lee, of, you know, Robert E. Lee, off of Washington Lee High School and changed it to Washington Liberty. And that's what it's known as now, and they did that without approval. A lot of people uh, were not happy about that. It was done as many things are done by the Arlington School Board in the summer after everybody has left. Um, this is an ongoing problem, and I think more parents are starting to wake up to it and, and see what's going on. And I love what you said about voting with your feet. Um, Arlington Public Schools is down about 3,000 students from what was expected this year. Um, I think that is one of the um, silver linings of the coronavirus that parents are seeing what's going on, and they're not happy about it, and they shouldn't be. And, and at some point, they're going to address it, because with each student that walks out the door of the uh, school goes a certain portion of money uh, that that school will lose. And so it's going to get their attention in one of two ways. Um, they will either change course uh, the, the direction that they're headed and be more responsive to parents, or they're going to make it harder for parents to take their kids out of the public schools. And, and you know, I tend to think it's probably going to be the latter rather than the former. Well, I agree with you. Um, sadly, I, I think you're right. My experience, um, the experience of other parents who have had concerns about what's going on in the schools has been that the school boards are simply not concerned. They're simply not concerned 
with the students' needs. They're not concerned with the parents' concerns. Um, you know, in Fairfax County in 2018, they voted to add uh, the LGB and TQ curriculum to the Fairfax County Family Life Education curriculum. They received 941 emails against approving that curriculum, only 192 for, and they just went right ahead and did it. They're not listening to parents. And I spoke with um, Keith Slough, who is uh, the head of the Florida Concerned uh, Citizens down in Florida, and he called the public school system a, a monopoly, and that's what it is. It's, it's a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Parents don't have another choice. And you don't negotiate with a monopoly. You have to break a monopoly, and the only way we're going to break the public school monopoly is by taking away their students. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, In my time in office when I was in Louisiana and the legislature took on the educational issue a few times, and I found that that is one of, if not the strongest lobby uh, in the political realm. And it is dominated by a liberal leftist, increasingly leftist worldview. And so, uh, you know, parents, for the most part, have been distracted, uh, busy. And as we've talked about on this program many times, the educational establishment is at best makes it hard for parents to know what's going on, but at worst, they're de- they're intentionally deceptive to keep this information mm-hmm. from parents. And so this coronavirus, as you pointed out, parents have had to look at what their kids are being taught, and it has opened their eyes to what is taking place. And then when you add on top of that the fact that the schools still are not reopening, uh, parents are saying enough is enough. Where, where do you think could be the final outcome here? Do you think we could be at a at one of those rare points in history where we could have a, kind of a revolution, if you will, in, in education? That's a really good question, and it's something I think about a lot. And I, I wish I were more prescient about what I expect to happen. Um, I think there's no question that the public schools are failing. They're failing students. Um, Students are not receiving adequate instruction. Students are falling off the radar. Students are falling behind. Um, I mean, even as later, as as long ago as um, 2015, the Pew Research Council said um, among developed nations, the U.S. ranks 24th in science and reading and 39th in math. So it's not new that the public schools are failing. They've been failing for a while. Um, I think we do need school choice. I think parents need to have the money that uh, that the federal government gives to public schools to go with the child. If the parents take the child to a private school, to a home school, to a, a military school, that money needs to go with the student because that's the only thing that's going to get the attention of the administrations of the school boards and is going to cause them to change their course. I think otherwise, you're right, they're going to just keep digging in and making life difficult for parents and, and just dumbing down our schools. Now, now to be fair, Maria, the uh, while we rank you know, near the bottom or at least rank very poorly in those non-essential subjects like science, math. Uh, We do rank at the top when it comes to sex education and uh, LGBTQ curriculum. So, I mean, we're we're addressing uh, what the left sees as fundamental. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, we sure are. Well, I just received from Arlington County from a teacher the new guidelines for transgender students. And what really disturbed me is a clause in there that um, says that students or teachers who refuse to comply, um, who don't comply with policies such as enforced pronouns and deceiving parents about their own children's sexuality and or gender ID, will be disciplined. And so this goes right to the heart of, of free speech. This goes right to the heart of the First Amendment. You cannot practice your faith, your conscience, or your, your right to free speech in the public schools and expect not to be disciplined for it. That's a problem. Yeah. So our kids will graduate. They won't be able to get a job, but they will know what bathroom to use. Um, uh, it, it, it's astounding. <laughs> it's astounding. It really is. And, and you know... The, it goes back really to the heart, Maria, of who knows best what their children need. And I think this is bringing us back to that core where where parents are saying, wait a minute, this is my child. You know, I, I want them to be successful. I don't want them living in my basement when they're 35 years old um, or, I guess, 78 and running for president. That's another story. The, the I don't want them, you know, uh, I want them to be successful. And so... Um, they're thinking this is not working, so we've got to look at other alternatives. And so I, I'm hopeful that this could lead to a, a revival in education from a standpoint of parents taking the responsibility. And I think homeschooling is a great option for many parents, and I think they've realized it's not as difficult as it was made out to be, especially given what uh, they've now seen as a part of the curriculum for the schools and how it's not working in the public school setting. Yeah, homeschooling has had a big boom this year. Um, the HSLDA, the Homeschool uh, Legal Defense Association, has written and talked about the thousands and thousands of parents who've been calling them for assistance. And um, I've pulled all three of my children to homeschool. I pulled two last year, and over the summer, my son, who's a senior in high school this year, came to me and asked me to homeschool him for his senior year because he said, I don't want to have a year like spring was, um, mm. you know, doing the distance learning through the public right. school. He said, I didn't learn anything. And he had been adamantly opposed to homeschooling, um, but he asked us to do it. And so he's now uh, dual enrolled at NOVA and finishing out his senior year and concurrently getting college credit. And it's just going swimmingly. And all three of my kids are doing different homeschool programs, and they're all being successful. And when I hear the stories of what's going on with families who still have their kids in public school, I'm so grateful that we got out. Um, it just sounds like it's a really painful experience for kids and parents who are still trying to navigate um, the public school system through the coronavirus. It is not only logistically difficult, but when you have the opportunity to be uh, intimately involved in the education of your children, num number one, you know what they're not being taught and they're not being indoctrinated, and you can help kind of deprogram them from what the left has uh, secretly being, uh, been doing for, for so long. Uh, Maria Keffler, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Thank you so much. Uh, for the work that you do in uh, focusing people's attention on education. Thank you so much, Tony. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. All right, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but, you know, God gave parents 
both the responsibility and the authority to educate their children. Uh, as a parent, you can delegate that authority. You can delegate it to a private school. You can delegate it to um, a public school. But you can never delegate the responsibility. You, me, we as parents are the ones that God will hold accountable for the education of our children. And when you look at what's happening in today's school systems, when you see what our children are being exposed to and what they're being taught, which is uh, antithetical to a biblical worldview, um, it's time to take action. So I would encourage you, especially as you move into this new year, be praying. about well, if you have children in public school, be praying what God might have you to do. At a minimum, be aware of what they're being taught and speak out about what they're being taught. And quite frankly, there's some of you out there that need to be running for school boards and, and making sure this kind of nonsense stops. We've got to take the responsibility to make a difference in our communities for our children and for others. All right, folks, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us again tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. PrayVoteStand.org. We'll have a rally here at Truett McConnell University. You can join us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you can do and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.